The first scripture reading today is from 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 24. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. Well, I had the opportunity this weekend to spend uh, some time with a good friend of mine. And when she got to my house, she asked me how I was doing. Now, we get asked how we're doing 25 times a day, but it's usually in the form of a greeting, right? Not, it's not often that we find somebody who asks us, asks us that question when they really want to sit and listen to the whole and complete answer to that question. And so when she asked that, and I knew that she genuinely wanted a response, I had to stop and think for a moment. How am I doing? And I started to think through this past month or so, and my my natural response was to ask her which part of my life she was asking that question about. How am I supposed to answer that question when the answer might be one thing when I'm talking about church or work, and it might be another thing when I'm talking about my health, and it might be another thing when I'm talking about my family. This is not uncommon, right? It seems much easier for us to live life in a compartmentalized manner because I think it's difficult for us to live in the tension of our human experience. We talk about that a lot during our times of prayer together as a community, that all in the same prayer time, we may be praying for somebody with a new cancer diagnosis while celebrating the birth of a brand new baby. We don't live in an either-or world. We live in a both-and kind of existence. But that is really often difficult for us to manage. Because if work is going amazingly well, but our family is struggling, then how do we answer the question, how are you, in a a simplified sort of manner? If most of the people around us are happy and healthy, but one or two are battling really severe illness or depression or addiction, 
then are we doing well or aren't we? Are we happy or aren't we? In a both-and world, I love this quote that I came across this week, which says, it's not the view that matters, it's the vision. It's not the view that matters, it's the vision. And, and it's why I think we were so appreciative and inspired by Max and Anita Heidi when they spoke to us a couple of weeks ago. Because though both of their views, I hope they don't mind my saying this, I should have asked beforehand, but because both of their views are limited by macular degeneration, their vision of what they see or their attitude about what they see makes all of the difference in the world. It's not the view that matters. It's the vision. And so this morning, we are in the final week of our series, Come to the Table. And after talking about the house rules of God's table and then talking about seating arrangements around God's table, last week we had the opportunity to talk about who is missing from the table. And so now we're all working on gathering around the table. It seems fitting, particularly this week, to pause to give thanks. And that is what we are doing this morning. Maybe it is cliche to talk about giving thanks the weekend of Thanksgiving, but I also know that living a life of gratitude, important and biblical as it is, is something that a lot of us struggle to do on a consistent basis. So maybe there is nothing new under the sun with regard to this message, and so if that is the case, then perhaps we could all just use a little reminder this morning. At least I know I could. We know that scripture has much to say about living a life of thanks. It's another one of those things that we oftentimes treat as if it is a suggestion, when it is certainly more than that. Gratitude is a way of life and a condition of one's heart that God desires for each one of us. There's an author by the name of Peter O'Brien, and he says that thanksgiving is almost a synonym for the Christian life that it is the response of gratitude to God's saving activity in creation and redemption. And thus, it is a recognition that he is the ultimate source of every blessing. It's all over scripture, this idea of giving thanks in all circumstances. And it is spelled out fairly clearly in one of the verses that Connie read for us this morning. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The thing about that verse is that it's pretty easy to do, but only when you feel like it. When things are going well and you see evidence of God all over the place, you can't help but be thankful. When the people in your life are healthy and your job is going well and your kids and your grandkids are succeeding and your finances are not too much of a struggle, it is easy to be grateful then because it's easy to be grateful when we feel grateful. It's just that sometimes we don't. This life is hard, and the God's honest truth is that sometimes we just don't feel grateful. So what are we supposed to do then? We're gathered at the table and we don't feel like giving thanks. What does the Bible have to say to us about that? What does it have to say about giving thanks when real life hits? when we're living paycheck to paycheck, when our loved one is gone, when the diagnosis isn't good, when our kids have wandered so far that we have lost hope of them coming back, when our job is on the line, when we are lonely, when we are haunted by our past, when we are brokenhearted, 
when we are stuck in a cycle of addiction. We talked about this this morning. I know that this has been a tough season for a lot of you. I know that this has been a hard year for a lot of you. And so what do we do about being thankful when life gets real and we are struggling with gratitude? Where is the verse that talks about giving thanks in the midst of those circumstances? Well, the thing is, the same verse applies. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, I find that very annoying. I feel like there should be some kind of hardship clause, right? And believe me, I looked for one. I first preached on this passage maybe six or seven years ago, and I figured, I figured that, that this verse, there, this must be one of those verses where the words were mistranslated from Greek to English, one of those verses where we're not using the exact right English word, that we missed the real intention behind it, the real translation. And so when I preached this sermon a while back, I looked up all the words in Greek, and I don't know if any of you remember this. I just, I just said to Sam, I don't remember what I did yesterday, so I don't remember this, but when I first shared this, what I learned was that when it says to give thanks in all circumstances, do you know what the Greek word for all is, what it means? All. <laughs> Constantly. In every situation. And then I found that very annoying. In fact, I found it so annoying that where most reasonable people and pastors probably would have just stopped there and taken that at face value, stopped digging, and then just went on to write the sermon I didn't, because you've met me. And so when I started down that rabbit trail in my stubbornness, and because of my own opinion of what I thought that verse meant, I wasn't going to give up until I found a loophole, because I figured there had to be a loophole. Because in all seriousness, in that particular season of my life, I was just struggling to accept that God could possibly be asking us to give thanks in all circumstances. In most things, yes, but not in all things. Because like you, like many of you, I at least have lived enough life to see and experience some pretty dark and painful pieces of life. And it is difficult to grasp that God would call us to offer thanks in the middle of that kind of pain. And I know that some of you are in that place right now. And I know what some of you have been through in the past. And so how could I stand up here and tell you that this verse actually means that you are supposed to give thanks for the very thing that has caused you pain. I felt the same way for an entire season of my life. And so in my stubbornness, I kept studying. And I eventually, I found it. At least I thought I found it. I thought that I had found this thing that I could hang my stubborn hat on. This thing that I could say where I, it would allow me the chance to tell you that you don't have to give thanks for absolutely everything. Again, this was probably six or seven years ago now, and one of the commentaries that I read at that time pointed out a clarification. The author wrote that Paul says not that we have to give thanks for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. And I thought, well, that, that's what I was looking for. Not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances, because in all circumstances I can do, right? I mean, it's not easy. It's not easy when you're facing something painful or difficult. Our instinct is certainly not one of thanksgiving. 
but I can at least see the blessings of God poured out enough even in hard times that I could find something to be thankful for. And I remember that moment so clearly. After reading that in the commentary, I wanted to close the books and write my sermon and be on my way, but I didn't. Because I couldn't. Because I wasn't and still am not convinced that that commentary author was right. I wanted him to be so badly. In fact, I don't know that there's any other commentary writer or sentence I've ever read about where I wanted the writer to be more right than I wanted that guy to be right. But I couldn't do it, and I still can't, because somewhere deep within me, I knew that he was wrong. And so I kept searching and kept wrestling with this challenging text. Giving thanks is rooted in Paul's very theology. Giving thanks is central to how Paul understands who God is and how God relates to his people. And why? Why is thanks so central to Paul's understanding of God? Because Paul believed, as he calls us to believe, that in all things, without exception, God is at work on behalf of his people. In all things. God is at work on behalf of his people, the people he created, the people he loves. Paul believed that our thanks is a form of worship to a God who is always at work on our behalf in all circumstances. And that is why and how he has called us to rejoice always, which seems absurd given our use of the word rejoice. It's not possible to rejoice in all circumstances. Or is that just a matter of perspective? Because it's not the view that matters, it's the vision. There's a book that came out, it's been over 10 years now, I used this illustration once, I know that this book was a little controversial, it was called The Shack. I know that it sparked some, um, yeah, just a lot of conversation around its theology or potential lack thereof, but there's a wonderful illustration in that book. The main character's name is Mac. And Mac is a father of three whose youngest daughter was kidnapped and murdered while on a family camping trip. And so Mac's bitterness and anger had eaten him alive. His grief had completely consumed him, as you could perhaps imagine. And he finds himself in this cabin in the woods where he meets God face to face in the form of three different human beings, each one representing a different character of the Trinity, and the one who represented the Holy Spirit was a woman that they called Sarayu. And so Sarayu brings Mac back into this garden that she has been spending all of her time tending to. And it is a disaster. He comments about there being every single possible kind of flower and weed and herb and vegetable that you can imagine. And they're just kind of thrown together. It's not evenly planted. There are plants that don't belong together, planted together. It's not, it's not planted by any basic type or any basic need. There are no rows. There is no organization. It's a mess. And that is what Mac calls it. He calls it a mess. To which Sarayu responds, this mess is you. Together, you and I, we have been working with a purpose in your heart. And it is wild and beautiful and perfectly in process. To you, it seems like a mess, but to me, I see a perfect pattern emerging and growing alive, a living fractal. And then in the book, they kind of pan out, and they, they talk about the perspective from above, and it's this gorgeous, gorgeous, colorful fractal. To us, what looks and feels like a mess is actually something beyond what we are able to see. 
Rejoicing isn't about our emotions, which are fleeting, but about our certainty that God is always working on our behalf and that darkness, no matter how it feels in the moment, will not ultimately ever be able to overcome the light that is Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that God is not concerned with how it feels right now. It doesn't mean that our pain isn't validated or that what we are going through is meaningless in, the light of a, in light of a God who sees a bigger plan. And it's very important that you hear me say that. God is with you in your pain. Even as God calls us to weep with those who weep, how could the one who created us and love us not be right there, weeping alongside us, brokenhearted by the pain that we have to endure? Gratitude does not invalidate or dismiss our pain. But our human capability and understanding is limited. And so when all we are able to see is darkness and pain and struggle or void, God is able to see something bigger, something so much more beautiful, something whole and something holy. It's not a matter of pacifying something difficult with some kind of Christianese statement that God must know what he's doing. It's a genuine recognition that God is sovereign over all, not over some, but over all. When we rejoice or pray or give thanks, we are acknowledging that God is God and that we are not. We are acknowledging that our salvation in Christ is bigger than any pain that we might encounter in this life. That's central to understanding this text. When we give thanks in all circumstances, we are saying that despite all human instinct otherwise, that our salvation is of more worth and of greater cost than any other person, event, or thing in this life. And that is a decision that we have to make for ourselves. Because until we genuinely believe that our salvation in Christ is of more worth than anything or person or circumstance, then we will allow our circumstances to be bigger and of more worth than our salvation in Christ. I know this is not easy. Here's another way of putting this. And you can talk to me later about finding some new material, but there are Few books that speak to me on the topic of gratitude, like Anne Voskamp's simple but utterly profound book, 1,000 Gifts, which is why I quote her every single time I talk about Thanksgiving. So you can talk to me about that later. This is what she writes. When we bought the enemy's lie in the beginning and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan hissed then that we'd really see and know what is good and evil. But the father of lies, he duped us, the whole nine yards. We did not become like God. We have no knowledge of good and evil apart from God. My seeing, it is not omniscient. Can I really see if a death, disaster, dilemma is actually evil? Mine is only to faithfully see his word and wholly obey him in this. Is this why he commands us to give thanks always and for everything? Because to thank God in all is to refuse Satan's relentless lure to be godlike in all. To thank God in all is to bend the knee in allegiance to God who alone knows all. 
to thank God in all is to give glory to God in all. Is this not our chief end? She says, when I only give thanks for some things, aren't I likely to miss giving God glory in most things? Murmuring thanks doesn't deny that an event is a tragedy, and neither does it deny that there's a cracking fissure straight across our heart. Giving thanks is only this, making a canyon of pain into a megaphone to proclaim the ultimate goodness of God. I know that this is not easy stuff. In fact, I would say that this is some of the most difficult stuff that we have to wrestle with when it comes to our journey of faith. To wrestle with God in our asking is to give thanks to God for all circumstances, the same thing as calling evil good. Isn't to give thanks for all circumstances to invalidate the very raw and real pain and grief of this life. And that line of thinking leads us down another dark path, which is to question how we can call God good at all. When marriages fall apart and our hopes are crushed, when friends get sick and we get laid off, how do we call God good in the face of all of the things that we prayed for just this morning? For Odin and for Lindy, for Taylor, for Julie Souter, how do we call God good? Enough to say thank you. When we think about the fact that people don't have access to clean water or food, when accidents and injuries and disaster seem so unfair, how do I proclaim that God is good when sometimes it doesn't feel like God is here? This is what Voskamp had to say about this struggle. She said, the spirit-to-spirit combat that I endlessly wage with Satan is this ferocious thrash for joy. He sneers at all of the things that seem to have gone hideously mad in this sin-drunk world, and I gasp to say that God is good. The liar defiantly scrawls his graffiti across God's glory, and I have to enjoy God, and Satan struggles and I whiten knuckles to grasp real truth and fix that beast to the floor. It sounds dramatic, unless you're somebody who has experienced very real pain in this life, and then you know how accurate those words are. That Satan sneers at all of the things that have gone hideously mad in the sin-drunk world while we grasp and gasp to say that God is good. Giving thanks to God in all circumstances is not to call evil good. It is not to freely welcome in the sin that God hates so much. It is not to invalidate the grief and pain of this life. It is not to put a Christian nice stamp of approval on something that is devastatingly raw. It is to learn to be thankful, whether empty or full. To learn to be thankful regardless of whether or not we feel like being thankful. It is to recognize that our emotions are fleeting but our salvation in Jesus Christ is not. It is to realize that what looks and feels like a useless, horrendous mess is not beyond God's ability to recreate into something beautiful. To proclaim our thanks in all things is not to deny the very thing that we are experiencing. It is to proclaim that God is bigger that the victory over evil ultimately belongs to God alone. It is to recognize that God is light and that in him there is no darkness, to recognize that that light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. 
And I know that just because God calls us and invites us to give thanks in all circumstances, it doesn't mean that we are instantly able to do so. And even as I'm preaching, I'm looking around at your faces and thinking about all of these other people and stories that I didn't mention yet this morning. I know that you're hurting. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, you have no idea. You have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea what I've been through. You have no idea what I'm facing. You're right. I don't. But God does. And he will meet you in the most pained parts of your life. He will not force his way in. But if you let him, God will shine a light into that darkness that will prevent that darkness from consuming you. How do I know that? It is the promise of God. Voskamp says that Jesus in his own words told us in John chapter 16 that in this world you will have trouble, that sin entered the world and with it came a whole mess of pain, that only if we allow it has the power to steal our joy and our ability to say thank you. And there is only one who has an even greater power than that. And it is the one who finished the sentence, in this world you will have trouble with, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so you can trade out the world for whatever it is that you are clinging to. Take heart, I have overcome your broken marriage. Take heart, I have overcome abuse, addiction, sickness. Take heart, I have overcome worry and loneliness and depression, grief, death. Being thankful in all circumstances does not deny the circumstance. It acknowledges the one who has overcome it. And so as we finish off this series about gathering around the table of God, as we speak once again about living a life of thankfulness, we recognize that our faith in God is never finished. We recognize that each step, each crawl that we take toward thankfulness, with each one of those comes more and more freedom and a deeper and deeper peace. Learning to live a life of gratitude may not change your view but I guarantee you it will change your vision. Let's pray together. God, admittedly, it is difficult. It is difficult to speak and to preach words about giving thanks in all circumstances as I look at the faces of these people that I love so dearly and know how many of them are hurting. I don't know why, Lord, but this has been a particularly tough year for lots of people in this church. And when one of us hurts, we all hurt. But God, I believe the words that you called me to speak this morning. That to offer thanks and to live a life of thanks is, to, is not to deny the very real, very painful circumstances that we find ourselves in. It is solely to recognize and acknowledge the one who is bigger than those circumstances. And so God, when we have nothing left and we have no words to pray and we don't know what else to do, may we call upon the only one who is bigger than these circumstances. May we recognize, Lord, that as pained as, pained as we are to be stuck in whatever grief we are experiencing, may we know that our salvation in Jesus Christ is of worth more than all of those things as much as they matter to us. And so, God, would you help us to crawl one step closer to a life of thankfulness, not that it will change our view, but that you alone can change our vision.
We pray all these things in your holy name.